My name is Officer Jake Thompson, and I've carried a haunting memory with me since my childhood. An encounter with an unidentified creature that forever etched fear into my heart. That memory has fueled my obsession, my unrelenting pursuit to solve the mystery of its existence. Years passed, and I became a seasoned cop, but the memory of that encounter never left me. And then, one fateful night, a series of bizarre animal attacks gripped the city. The details struck me with an eerie familiarity, bearing a striking resemblance to the horrors of my childhood. Deep down, I knew that the creature had returned. Convinced of its reappearance, I assembled a team of fellow officers who had also experienced encounters with the unknown. We shared a bond, forged by the terror that lurked in the shadows. Each member carried their own scars, haunted by their personal encounters with the enigmatic creature. Together we vowed to face it head, on, and put an end to its reign of terror. As we embarked on our hunt, tension simmered beneath the surface. The weight of our shared traumas tested our bonds, stretching them to their limits. Yet, we pressed forward, fueled by a collective determination to uncover the truth and protect those we swore to serve. Night after night, we tracked the creature across the city, following the trail of bizarre animal attacks. With every step, the air grew heavy with anticipation and fear. The line between predator and prey blurred as we became both hunters and the hunted. Finally, we cornered the creature in an abandoned warehouse. A palpable tension hung in the air, each member of our team ready to face the ultimate test. But as the climactic showdown unfolded, the true strength of the creature revealed itself. With terrifying speed and brute force, it overpowered us, striking us down one by one. The very officers who had once stood by my side now fell victim to the creature's relentless assault. Blood stained the cold, concrete floor as the echoes of our desperate struggle reverberated through the empty space. I fought valiantly, refusing to succumb to the creature's savagery. But in the end, I too became its prey. As my strength waned, I stared into the eyes of the creature, witnessing the culmination of a lifelong obsession. It had defeated me, the last one standing. In my final moments, as darkness claimed me, I realized the true nature of my pursuit. It had consumed me, blinded me to the inevitable cost. My obsession had led to the demise of not only myself, but also those I had come to consider family. As Officer Jake Thompson fell, another victim of the creature he had sought to defeat, the city remained shrouded in the terror of the unknown. The memory of our sacrifice would fade, but the creature would linger, a constant reminder of the darkness that exists just beyond the edges of our perception. And so, my story ends in tragedy, a cautionary tale of how obsession and the pursuit of the unknown can devour even the strongest among us. The unanswered questions and the lurking fears would continue to haunt the city, a reminder that sometimes there are mysteries that should remain unsolved. Working at a hunting retreat in northern Canada was an experience I'll never forget. The solitude, the wilderness, and the sense of adventure made it an incredible place to be. I was the cook for the hunting lodge, and it was my job to prepare hearty meals for the hunters after a long day out in the wilderness. 
One early morning, I was walking from my cabin to the kitchen, ready to start my day. The air was crisp and cold, and a fresh blanket of snow had fallen overnight. It was so quiet that the only sound was the crunching of the snow beneath my boots. As I reached the kitchen, I realized I had left my apron behind in my cabin. Sighing, I turned back to retrieve it, trying to shake off the chill that had settled in my bones. That's when I saw them, large, unmistakable footprints in the snow, leading right up to the door. They were much bigger than any human footprints, and the stride was far longer than any person could take. My heart raced as I realized that something, or someone, had been following me as I walked to the kitchen. Thought of Bigfoot, a legend that had been passed around campfires for generations, crossed my mind. But that couldn't be possible, could it? I hurried back to my cabin, grabbing my apron and returning to the kitchen as quickly as possible. I couldn't shake the feeling of being watched, and I kept glancing nervously over my shoulder as I made my way through the snow. After that day, we all decided it was best to start doing things in pairs. The footprints had shaken us to our core, and we couldn't ignore the possibility that something was lurking in the wilderness around us. Even though we never saw any more signs of the mysterious creature, the memory of those footprints stayed with us, a chilling reminder that we were not alone out there. The legend of Bigfoot became a staple in our conversations, and we spent many nights huddled around the campfire, sharing stories and speculating about the creature that had left its mark on our lives. Though I still can't say for sure what it was that followed me that morning, the experience left me with a newfound respect for the untamed wilderness and the mysteries it holds. I grew up on a ranch, in a small old California ranch house. Lots of windows to stay cool on the summer, almost all the rooms open to the central living room. I was probably 14. My father was 11, and my mom was out that night running an errand. Brother and I are together in the living room. He's sitting by the stove and I'm lying on the sofa. We're both doing homework. Inside the lights are on, but through the windows it's pitch black. As I'm reading, I hear footsteps on the mud porch leading up the front door. It's an old house, and I hear the heavy footsteps clearly. But I hadn't seen my mom's car drive in. I hadn't seen or heard any car. It's the country. I would have heard a car approaching and seen their headlights through the dark windows. But there was nothing, just the footsteps on the porch. They stop at the front door, but no one knocks. I am frozen. If I had gotten up and looked around the corner through the kitchen, I would have seen the owner of the food steps standing at the door, which had a window. But then they would have seen me. If I talk to my brother, they'll hear me. And in the dark, anyone could be looking through the windows at us but we couldn't see out. I go through all my options. The person is standing at the only door in or out of the house, which is always unlocked. If I go to the kitchen to grab a knife, they will see me and know I see them. We can't hide. The house is too small and they'll see where we go. My heart is racing. My best option is to pretend I don't know for as long as I can and be ready for whatever comes next. But after a few minutes... I don't hear any more footsteps. I calm down. I might have just imagined it. Twenty minutes later, I hear my mom's car and see the headlights go across the windows. I run outside, 
because I'm still a child and I want my mother to know how scared I am. But before I can tell her, she asks me, who left the water on? And I'm terrified again. We had this weird water spigot in the front yard with a pole that shut up to about waist height and a spigot turned up instead of down. My brother and I would treat it like a drinking fountain or turn it on full blast and play under it like a fountain. When she got home, the water was on, full blast, shooting several feet up into the air. Someone had been there that night. On our porch, they saw my brother and I alone. No car in the drive. They didn't come in, but they wanted us to know they could have have. My family and I once lived back in some of my family's woods. No one could see our little plot, just woods all around. My family lived nearby, but down the dirt road away. We had no light poles put up, so it would get very dark back there. I started to notice a light above the trees. I figured out it was not a star because it would sway, rise quickly, totally disappear, descend behind the trees. This went on for a few days, and I was the only one who had seen it. My dad hired some guys to help him with the deck. My husband sort of knew one and would invite him to dinner after they worked. That light always seemed to get closer when that guy was there. It was even a tree level often. I knew this because I could see the light behind the trees, obviously not in the sky. I showed it to my husband, kids, and the guy. Not mentioning it earlier in case I was crazy, my daughter decided to play with it. She said, follow me if you're an alien. Then she walked to the left and it went to the left. She went right and it did too. She went right again. It followed. That freaked me the hell out. The guy was so freaked out that he left, and the light followed him. It freaking followed him as he left. I edited to add this. I should also say that this man lived in the woods behind us. So it was easy to see the light descend to where he lived. He wasn't very far from us at all, just separated by woods. For about four days, that light would follow that man when he left. I thought he was about to get abducted by aliens. I would stare out the window, peering into the darkness for hours, because I feared missing a Mel Gibson signs birthday party-like moment that would verify my fears. One night the man did not come. The light was still there freaking me out. I had just about lost my mind at this point, worried about my kids being abducted by aliens. I yelled at it. What's your problem, huh? What do you want? It was following me, walking as I lost my shit. I ended up flipping at the bird and it seemed to dive towards me. I kid you not, in that moment I thought I had pissed the aliens off and they were about to crash into me. Then it disappeared during the time I had my back to it, running for my life. I told my father what was going on. His response was, Are you on crack? I got irate and had to explain that, no, I was not on crack. He gave me a shotgun and told me to just shoot it down next time I saw it. If it is real. It only came back when that man came back and it left when he left. I did not shoot it down because I figured a shotgun would just piss off aliens. Never saw it again and lived in fear of aliens in the dark woods for the rest of our stay there. Years later, I was reading local news and stumbled across an article that explained the lights. It was an article about how the local cops used drones to catch drug dealers and other nefarious folk. 
My jaw dropped. I was about 20. One when all that happened and more naive than I am now. Also, this was back before drones were so popular and well-known. Especially for someone who didn't really use the internet much during that time. I remembered how not long after completing the deck, that man who was visiting us was arrested for drug charges and some other stuff involving the Mexican Mafia, as it was called. We were pretty shocked because we figured he was just a regular old drug dealer, which we don't have an issue with. Mafia stuff, though, we didn't like that being near our kids. So I spent a portion of my life terrified of aliens, when it was more than likely the police using drones. Whoever was manning the drone was probably bored and decided to mess with us. Or they didn't want the guy or us to catch on, so they went with making us believe they were aliens. Or they were actually aliens, or they were actually aliens, and I came up with a reason that my brain can handle better. If it was cops and I had shot it like my father told me to, I would probably still be in prison today. So glad I didn't do that. My mother was born and raised in Texas, and she would visit her grandmother in Anna, Texas. I remember it vividly. The strange events that unfolded after the sightings of the monstrous creature in West Virginia. It was a summer to remember, filled with mystery and intrigue. My name is Mark, and I was one of the witnesses to the creature's presence. It all started on the 12th of June, when Kathleen May and a group of teenagers reported seeing a ten-foot-tall monster. The news spread like wildfire and everyone in the small town was buzzing with excitement and fear. Little did we know that this was just the beginning of a series of bizarre occurrences. The next day, the Snitalski family also claimed to have encountered the same monstrous being. The entire community was on edge, and rumors and speculations ran wild. People were desperate for answers, searching for any clues that could shed light on the mystery. Then, out of nowhere, Two men appeared in Braxton County posing as peddlers. They went from house to house selling pots and pans, but something about their demeanor seemed off. They showed little interest in their merchandise, quickly shifting the conversation towards the sightings. It was as if they were on a mission to gather information. Curiosity got the better of me, and I invited the peddlers into my home. As they demonstrated their pots and pans, they began steering the conversation towards the monster sightings. They asked probing questions trying to extract every detail from my account. It was clear that they were not your average peddlers. Their true purpose was to uncover the truth behind the sighting. Hours passed as we delved deeper into the strange occurrences. They seemed genuinely intrigued by the sightings and showed no signs of leaving anytime soon. It was both captivating and unnerving to have them hanging on to every word I said. I couldn't help but wonder what their true intentions were. As the evening wore on, the conversation took a more intense turn. They shared their own theories and speculated about the nature of the creature. It was as if they possessed insider knowledge, leaving me both fascinated and uneasy. Who were these men, and why were they so invested in the sightings? Eventually, the peddlers bid me farewell their pots and pans untouched. They left as mysteriously as they had arrived, leaving me with more questions than answers. I live in a very rural area in eastern North Carolina. 
The county has roughly 20,000 people, but they are roped into five communities, and most of the remaining area is just miles of open fields or forests. Two stories. First, my family owns about 40 acres of forest land behind my house. Growing up, I would always go explore the woods with friends after school. I've walked a good majority of that land. Fast forward two years when we're logging the land. I'm driving home, and I see police cars everywhere. Turns out the loggers found a body remains in our woods, which had been there for about ten years. The theory was that he walked down the railroad track that passes through our land and killed himself in our woods. Incredibly lucky that I didn't stumble upon the body as a kid. Side note, the more I think of it, our land is fickety f up. One self-harm, seven normal family deaths in the house. Second, there's a place called Diamond City, out in the most rural part of our county. Although it's called a city, it's anything but. Here is a brief explanation of the city as well as the phenomena. Approximately five miles from the nearest paved road, Diamond City is a network of dirt roads, way deep into the woods. There's long been a legend of the demon city lights that you can see in the woods. I've always been amazed at legends like this, so naturally, I go explore it with friends. We go deep into the trail, cut the car off and flash the lights, waiting for anything. Being that far away from civilization, with no signal and surrounded by pitch-black woods, is an incredibly eerie feeling. We sit there in silence, until one night I see far down the path a small flicker of light. It then begins to grow and roll toward the car. We wait, and the orb of light grew and grew until it disappeared. For a second it was like time itself stopped. Then I see light from behind the car. I hesitantly turn around and see the ball rolling away at the same speed at which it arrived. I'm not sure if seeing it is creepier or the thought that it went right by us. A forest ranger in Sequoia. My duty was to protect the national park. So one day I received a tip about illegal activities taking place within a small section of the woods. Specifically, I was informed about a drug lab hidden deep in the heart of the wilderness. Armed with this information, I knew it was my responsibility to investigate and ensure the safety of the park and its visitors. Reading the coordinates scribbled on the note, I decided to scout the location myself before involving the police. It was already nighttime when I arrived at the designated area, parking my jeep just outside the woods. The darkness enveloped the surrounding trees, casting long, eerie shadows that danced with every flicker of moonlight. Determined to uncover the truth, I embarked on foot, my flashlight piercing through the darkness ahead. The air was heavy with anticipation as I navigated the unfamiliar terrain, relying on my knowledge of the park's trails and my instincts as a ranger. The sounds of nocturnal creatures and rustling leaves served as a haunting soundtrack to my journey. As I pressed forward, my attention was suddenly captured by an unusual green light. It flickered in the distance, drawing me closer with an irresistible curiosity. I cautiously made my way toward it, my heart pounding in my chest. To my astonishment, the source of the light revealed itself to be a figure a banshee-like apparition or perhaps a young girl with an ethereal presence. Her gaze met mine, and in that moment I felt an eerie connection. 
I cautiously called out hello, but she remained silent, her head turning slowly to face me. Her smile was unsettling, almost satanic in nature. And just like that, she vanished before my eyes, leaving me stunned and questioning the reality of what I had witnessed. Shaking off the encounter, I continued my mission to locate the supposed drug lab. However, upon reaching the designated area, I found no trace of any illegal operation. It was as if the information I had received was fake or diverison, much like the mysterious figure in the woods. As I made my way back to my cabin, the events of the night replayed in my mind. What was the meaning behind that unearthly encounter? Had I stumbled upon something beyond the realm of the natural world? Or was it simply a trick of the imagination? An illusion born out of the darkness and my own weariness? This was our second Sasquatch sighting as a group. I and two other good friends live in British Columbia, Canada. We've had a previous frightening sighting of a Sasquatch that visited us in the deep forest at our campsite, but this time was in the sand dunes. We go there for spring break sometimes with our motocross bikes. After a long day of play in the dunes, we resorted to hanging out at the campsite. As we were sitting at the table, I noticed a large figure in the darkness, walking in the middle of the road. I told my friends and we walked towards the figure. It never made a noise, not even sounds of walking. I clearly saw the figure walk directly out on the road, and then it disappeared out of view. I don't think it was a person for a number of reasons. First of all, it was so dark that only the moon and residual light from campsites lit the area. Farther away, it was pitch darkness, and the overnight temp was below freezing. This was a startling experience. Our first experience with the Sasquatch scared us very badly. It was stalking us in the bush. We watched it as it was watching us from roughly 10, 15 feet away, just sitting there watching us. We could clearly see it. We sat there on a log by the fire, terrified. My friend Dan came up with a plan to scare it away. We slowly added more wood to the fire for more light. Jamie and I grabbed burning tree limbs from the fire as Dan jumped on his 250 and hit the kickstart and popped the clutch as soon as the motor kicked over the Baja headlamp turned on. The light was on the Sasquatch that was mortified. You could see its facial expression. It was now terrified as we were. Jamie and I jumped up yelling with the logs and fire. Dan then rode his bike right up to hit trying to hit it. The Sasquatch freaked out and ran down the trail. We regrouped by the fire and tried to come up with an exit plan. We had ridden in on dirt bikes. Only one had a headlight, and the trail was too tight to ride in formation. We waited to first light to leave. As soon as there was enough light to seen in the trails, we packed up and left. No one has believed us since. Only one other person has experienced with Jamie and Dan. A year after our first encounter, Jamie and Dan took a friend jarred to the same campsite to shoot off fireworks for New Year's. They rode in on two dirt bikes, both with headlights. As they were shooting off the fireworks when the area was silent, when not using fireworks, they could hear what would logically be a blue-gross mating call, somewhat of an ump noise. They heard the noise all night long, didn't think too much about it, 
It became louder and louder. Then they heard the bushes moving and then something ran by them at close range. It ran into Jamie's bike, knocking it over on the side of the kickstand. They lit off all their fireworks in every direction. They had backpacks full, as one prepped the bikes. Then Jared and Dan doubled on Dan's bike and Jamie, whose bike was knocked over. Couldn't get his bike started. The electric start was turning over and over, and he said he had the sense of something walking up behind him. Then his bike started. He pinned the throttle wide open, two-stroke motor, dumped the clutch, and rode off at a motocross speed. Since then, we're a little paranoid of camping there again. One of the scariest experiences of my life was in Tampa, Clearwater, Florida. I had to go get someone and help them move away. We were stalked by Scientologists. No joke, I would go on the porch to smoke, and they had a person watching us from the window next door. Hoodie up, barely any light, and just stood there, staring the whole time. I didn't even see them move at all. I was scared to even go to sleep. When we went out into town, they would follow us around. I couldn't even tell you everything that happened, from having random numbers screamed at me and being overall strange. I would rather deal with anything the backwoods can throw at me, rather than that cult. So if you want a terrifying experience, just make Scientology mad low. I live in the backwoods and feel way safer here than I ever did there. Well, that's my scary Florida experience. Hiking in Wilson Prom, the most southern point of Australia's mainland, came face to face with a large cat. It was jet black and had green eyes. I thought it was just a feral cat for years, but only just recently found out feral cats have different colored markings, not all black. What the F did I see? I don't believe in ghosts or that paranormal stuff. I had one experience that was hard to shake. Back in my drinking partying days, I was at a friend's house and went to sleep in his guest room after a heavy night of drinking. Middle of the night, I wake up to someone shaking me. Physically, I felt their hand pushing on me. I look up and see the shadow of a man in the dark. I say, Jeff, what do you want? Silence, just standing there. I grabbed my phone, which was next to me for some light, and it was gone. I think my drunken mind was playing tricks on me. When my wife and I bought our first house, we had this eerie experience. The house was built in 1917, and two people had died at the house. An older lady inside and her husband on the front porch. We heard all the noises, doors opening, lights going on and off, that sort of thing. I started to fix the house up and things started getting worse. Any houseplant put in a windowsill would be smashed on the floor. Any clothes that I hung up on a dresser knob for work the next day would have the seams unsewn. I put a bottle of Jack on the refrigerator and it fell on the floor and landed on its top. I put it inside of a pot that my wife had on the fridge and next night we heard a crash and it was on the floor again, on its top, and this time it cracked the neck. Our dogs could see the ghost and you could watch, as both dogs' heads would turn in unison as they watched it go through a room. After a few years, the strange things tapered off and finally quit. We sold the house to a single lady, and she resold the house only a few months later and moved out. I saw her at the store and asked why she had moved. She told me about all the strange things that went on while she owned it and just couldn't take it. 
Although we toughed it out for 15 years, she just couldn't take it and the house has sold several times since. My grandparents live in a private subdivision on the lake. There is a huge mansion out there that was built on an Indian burial ground. It's called the Myers Plantation. They owned all the land in the beginning and then started selling it off for people to build on and eventually became a private gated subdivision that had its own bylaws until recent years. The Meyer Mansion had a big circle driveway. Growing up as kids, there was always stories being told about ghosts and whatnot. Of course I believed them. Mr. and Mrs. Myers died years and years and years and years ago. It had a private pair and boathouse, and no one had took care of it since they passed. It was falling apart, and the woods were grown up all around it. Hell, it didn't even have water around it anymore because the lake had receded so much over the years. Well, you can still walk out there to it and find cane poles rigged up on what's left of the pier. You can take them down and come back, and they will be back up again. The back of the house down to the lake is one-fourth mile walk. There is a nice stone walkway the entire way. Well, as we got older, we got braver and braver to explore this land. The more we explored it, the more we decided it was all lies and wasn't haunted or built on a graveyard. Well, then one day going up those stairs, one broke loose and tuntred over. It was a dang tombstone, and so was all the other 15,000 stones used to make this stairway. I used to ride the go-kart around the streets, and my papa always told me never to go into the Myers driveway. I would always turn around at the end of it and go back. It was at the end of the street. Well, one day I got ballsy and decided I was going to circle the driveway. So I did and pulled up to the front door, and it had a huge awning over the front door area. As I started to glance around at the many, many windows in the house, I see the blinds moving in one window, and then see a woman appear as the curtain is pulled back. This house has been vacant since the Mears passed. I hightailed it home, and believe me, I never went back in that driveway again. Needless to say, I couldn't tell anyone what I saw, because I wasn't supposed to be there to begin with LOL. One. One. One night in early summer, I believe, a guy named Kevin came back to my girlfriend at the time. Little brother's house. He started to tell us he had seen a four-foot-tall owl leaving his house last night. I grew up in this very area, in Indiana, when I was younger. And at first I thought he was telling us some cheesy joke or story. When he didn't laugh, we knew he was serious. That's when we started to laugh at him. He claimed this happened to him right across the street and about halfway through the woods. I completely thought he was making this up, wasn't sure why he would though. I personally thought he was lying. I then asked him if this happened across the street, then take me to where you saw it then. I'm glad I had him show me. At the time, I really thought he was double-downing on his lie. I wasn't expecting anyone else to follow us, but everyone who came with me was there. When he brought us to the spot, I looked carefully, being the outdoorsman I was. Nothing, no scratches on the ground, no blood, no fur. He also added he thought it was eating something because, as he cut through, he thought someone was sitting hunched over in the dark. He then added that he said, Who's there? It lifted up over this head, carrying something he thought. He said it, then screeched at him, and that was all. We laughed and made fun of him for the next few years, even. He got it bad. 
We thought he was lying and we all figured if you're going to lie, you're going to have to deal with us making fun of you for catching you in that lie. Kevin never brought it up again or even tried to defend himself. I looked right at him and asked, why to pick an owl? He was a little confused by this question and just said, what do you mean? Then I said, why pick an owl? Owls aren't even scary. Then, in the early spring of 2007, my friend Josh, who lived a few streets over from where this Kevin guy was, saw this four-foot-tall owl. I completely forgot he told us about it, unless we would see him for a laugh. I thought he was just making it up. Josh and I cut through the same woods he saw it in, but from the other way. We could see all the way through from the street. His woods is long, but maybe only 100 yards wide. As we get to about halfway, we both hear something running on the leaves in our direction fast. I'm a little bit taller than Josh. I was able to turn around and took a few steps, jumping and pulling myself up. Josh was running out of time, and I told him to jump and grab my hand. There was a mean pit bull dog that the owners would sometimes let loose at night to roam. At the last second, Josh jumped on a little sapling tree and climbed it like a rope. About two weeks later, we would be doing the same thing again. Only when we heard the leaves moving on the ground, it was a large raccoon instead. I started to walk again towards Dennis's house, and then I heard a wooden diving board noise. When I heard this, I just stopped in my tracks and started to scan, looking for the source of the noise. Eventually, I turned around and started to look behind us and that's when I noticed the very large branch still whipping up and down. Now even more confused, I'm looking for what came out of this large branch, not seeing anything. Most, if not all, my focus was on the ground near the base of the large oak tree. The way the limb was moving, something very large would have jumped out. The only thing that didn't make sense was, I'm looking at nothing on the ground. I turned back to Josh and said, Bobcat, only to have him roll his eyes at me. I wouldn't have believed it either except to me. It was the only thing that would have weighed enough to shake the branch like that, but never make a sound possibly when it hit the ground. So I'm literally waiting for a big cat to show itself and pounce. After another full minute, nothing happens and I'm even more confused and started to walk toward Dennis's house. I take a few more steps, still looking around but facing forward back at his house. I started to catch movement out of the top corner of my eye and what I explain next, I would have never thought in a million years I'd be telling or saying. It was just a black mass or a black ball shape, darker than the night sky around it. When I see this, I freeze because I'm just not sure what I'm looking at. It's still above the treetops, halfway through this woods, probably putting it in the 100 feet range up, just right above the tips of the tree. I was first and Josh was still somewhere behind me. I stayed focused on the dark movement and didn't want to lose view of what it was.